0: John fourteen fifteen through 31. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me.
1: Haley, thank you very much. That's a difficult passage to get through. You did a great job. Haley is one of our graduating seniors at Liberty High School and is headed to Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz, right? Yeah, excited for you, Haley. Thank you for leading us in reading scripture this morning. That passage that Haley read is not just difficult to read, it's really difficult uh, to interpret and understand. Jesus. Begin setting for us, setting before us a teaching that has to do with the nature of God and God's role in our lives for those who love and obey Him. It's not easy to understand the totality of what Jesus is saying, and it's a long passage, and I want to go through part of it this morning. Um, but before I do, uh, let's pray for me. Father, I thank you for your word. It is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, capable of dividing between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I pray that you do that for us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Be our teacher, be our helper, be our guide, And draw us further into intimacy with you. And for that, Father, we give you thanks. In your name I pray, amen. John 14, 15 and 16. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. In other words, I am your advocate now. I'll ask Him to give you another to help you and to be with you forever. This is, I'm gonna do my best to teach through these few verses, but to do it not in a, it's so profound. There, there's so much here that I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try my best to, I'm gonna endeavor to teach through this. Not like we're in a seminary or master's class, but but kind of get into some some pretty deep stuff. Because Jesus introduces us to this. We gotta, we gotta talk, we gotta be introduced to it. The key to understanding what Jesus is, is, is beginning to walk his disciples into. The, the key to understanding that is to understand who God is. We understand from scripture that God's what we call the, the, the triune God. The word we created to understand that is Trinity. In other words, God God is a singular God, and this is the great this is a great testimony of God's people in Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and that that's one of the things that set them apart from all the other religions of the world is that they were a monotheistic faith, a one God. But this one God, as we see in Scripture, from Old Testament through New Testament. This one God is seen in what we, we we our term is three persons. Don't think in persons of me, you, you, different. Think of three, think of three functions. We use the word person because we just, don't, we, just don't, we don't have language to describe in totality who God is. But what we see in scripture is one God present in three persons, three functions. The word we created to help us understand that. Through the the, the the Nicene Council and the Council of Constantinople, these these things that the church fathers kind of got together and said, How do we put this in terms that we can understand? They created this word called Trinity. If you've been in church in a length of time, you've probably heard the word the Trinity. That's nowhere in Scripture. That word's nowhere in Scripture. We'll never find it in the Bible. But the examples of it and the outgrowth of it is everywhere in Scripture, Old Testament through New Testament. And so this passage in John 14 is probably the most complex passage in the entire gospel. And so I, I want to dive into it. Now, it'd be so much easier for me to teach how to be happy in three easy steps or something like that, you know. And But we ought not be ignorant of some of this stuff. Jesus... In this passage, he, he affirms what we call the Trinity. And if, you, if, if you've been around Christianity any length of time, you may have heard people try to explain what the Trinity is. And they probably use examples like, think of an egg. It's an egg, but there's a shell of yolk and the egg white. Yeah, neat, but really, really, really terrible example. Uh, because it, it 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 doesn't do it justice. Because you we don't think of the shell as the totality of the of the egg. The shell is is separate. It when we talk about the egg yolk, we're talking about the yolk. We're not talking about any other portions of it. It's not the egg. It's a small portion of it, and 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 which is not God. I mean, this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. You you may have heard someone talk about the Trinity in in terms of H2O. That H2O can take different forms: liquid, solid, and vapor. And that's how people try to understand the Trinity. That's that's terrible too. Because because God is not a God, it's, it's not a modalistic God. He doesn't appear in different modes. He is God. God is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's one God manifest in three The best word we have as persons. And so Jesus is like Jesus understands this fully because he is he is God in the flesh and he's imparting to his disciples this incredible spiritual doctrinal truth of God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. And the reason why it's so difficult for us to understand because we have a finite mind and we're trying to understand an infinite God. And so the words that we have coming from a finite mind just fall far short. God in his fullness, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, is always pursuing humanity. We see it in the Old Testament as God's interaction in the world. And when we look at the Old Testament... And, 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 and God, what we're thinking of is God, the father and the father's hand, sovereignty and move in the world in pursuit of his creation. And in the New Testament, the gospels, what we see is God, the son. God taking on flesh. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I am the father in the flesh. I'm God. So there's God the Father, and when we see His hand, he we're called through those. And then Jesus shows up as God in the flesh. He says, "You see me? You've seen the Father. I and the Father are one." And and we see Jesus, God in the flesh, pursuing humanity, ultimately uh, culminating on the cross, and His burial and His resurrection, all in pursuit of the creation that He loves. And then after the ascension, we see God the Spirit, and God the Spirit's role is to continually give testimony to the son and drawing people and then once someone comes to faith the indwelling of this of God the spirit and it's this triune god this one god in these these three functions if you will constantly pursuing humanity all of scripture from genesis all the way through to the maps at the at the back of the book it's all the revelation of god the father god the son god the spirit pursuing intimacy with his creation intimacy with you intimacy with me and so the goal of the christian life and i appreciate the fact that that, that jeff uh, copeland dealt with this a little bit last week i'm going to draw it out a little bit but the goal of the christian life is this intimate relationship with this infinite unknowable yet personal god this triune god the god the father god the son and god the spirit this unknowable, unfathomable, that we can't even come up with words to describe this intimate relationship with the person who God is. In Titus chapter 2, it says, for for the grace of of God, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait this is this is the hope of the christian this is this is this is while we wait for the blessed hope which is the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us and redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The goal of the Christian life is this intimate relationship, and we wait for the appearing of Jesus where that intimate relationship that we're learning to live in now is fully revealed and fully experienced when Jesus comes. This is the goal of the Christian life, to begin this relationship with this incredible God, to be fully experienced at the appearing of Christ. Whether that happens in heaven or the new earth, so be it. I just want to be with Jesus. I taught a whole series on heaven and, and 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 what life is like, you know, the second after you die. Go back on our website and our podcast, listen to that. I deal with I deal with that exclusively. But this intimate relationship with God is is this is the goal of the Christian life, and wherever that happens, that is fantastic. I mean, that's the point of it all. And but we're and it will be experienced in its totality in eternity but we're given glimpses and we're given the promise of it while on earth through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows this. He knows that for those who are around after his ascension, that the Holy Spirit has got to be a part of their lives to draw them in, to give them a glimpse, to give them a preview, to to begin this this process of intimacy with God the Father and God the Son through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so he starts teaching them, this is what the Holy Spirit is and and this is what he's going to do. We are the most fortunate generation, those of us who have been born after the ascension. Here's why. Because none after the ascension, that's when God imparted the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, that's when God the Father imparted God the Spirit to humanity, those who have a relationship with God the Son. No other generation have have the possibility of experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit to the same degree and manner than those of us do who were born after the ascension. Gifted with the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're really, really, really fortunate. And it's concerning to me uh, that the church doesn't have a biblical, balanced understanding or experience of God the Spirit. Now, Jesus is going to talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in a couple chapters, and we'll really get into it in a couple weeks. I want to introduce it here. The promise of the Holy Spirit is given to those who, through faith, have a relationship with God the Father through faith in God the Son. And the Holy Spirit is promised and given to those at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The moment someone accepts Jesus, the Holy Spirit is imparted to them. I I don't want to think that that if you're a Christian, you got to get it somehow. By virtue of faith in God the in God the Father, through a relationship with God the Father through God the Son, we're gifted God the Spirit, the moment of salvation. But Jesus kind of clarifies a little bit for us about what that salvation looks like. And that's why in John 14, 15, and 16. If you love me. Now, most most church people would say that all it takes to have a relationship with Jesus is to love him. Well, Jesus kind of flushes it out a little bit. He says, if you love me, you will what? If you love me, you'll obey me. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll like me. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll have good feelings about me. If you love me, you'll what? You'll obey me. And to those who love me and obey me, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. I've been your advocate in the earth. Now I'm going to leave and go back to the Father. He's going to give you another advocate, and he'll be with you forever. And so, uh, please understand, who does Jesus make the promise to for, for, to ask the Father to give them this other Advocate, who does He make that promise to? Use Bible words. Those who love Him don't miss the second part. <laughs> see you see this is, this is this is where we stop short so many times. He says, "Yeah, if you love Me, but understand, if you love Me, you're going to obey Me." So for those who love me and by virtue of your love for me, obey me. I will ask the Father to give you another advocate who will be with you forever. So, so, so here's the thing. Listen, how do you know that you love God? We obey him. I understand this. Jesus has just given us the litmus test of love. The litmus test of loving Jesus is obedience to Jesus. That's the litmus test. Not working your way into salvation. He's saying, You love me, and the litmus test of your love is your obedience. That's the proof of it. So so, so think about it like this like love is the motivation, but obedience is the result. And you cannot have love without obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. We cannot have love without obedience. Simply because we say we love Jesus does not make one a Christ follower. Let me suggest this. The simple profession of the name of Jesus does not make one a follower of Christ. You know how I know? Thank you for asking. I know because of what the Bible says. Look at this, and I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father. Obedience. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, never knew you. Depart from me, evil doers. And so simply claiming the name of Christ, Even doing incredible works in the name of Christ doesn't necessarily mean one is a Christ follower. And so Jesus adds some clarification. If you love me, fantastic. It'll be proven by your obedience. Now let me explain obedience because I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. Obedience is not perfection. Obedience is not not sinning. Obedience is this. When one sins, they repent. Do you understand that? And so I don't want any of you thinking, That to obey, to to love Jesus means I don't mess up anymore. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you love me, you will be obedient so that when you do sin and you realize that and it's either a self-conviction from the Holy Spirit in you or someone else points it out in you, you repent of that sin. That's obedience. It's not not sinning. It's the repentance of our sin. To live in disobedience is to live in unrepentant sin. And when we live in unrepentant sin, it destroys our intimacy with God the Father and God the Son through God the Spirit. So that's what Jesus is talking about. I will ask the Father. The Son is asking the Father to send the Spirit to those who love him and who show that love by repentance and obedience. Does that make sense? You okay so far? Okay, because it's going to get worse. Uh, in, In our daily living in an obedient life, the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so the working out of our salvation in obedience in daily living does not mean just obeying the commands of God, the easy ones like, don't murder. I mean, so far today, hadn't killed anybody, have not murdered anybody, so I'm obedient. It's not I, like, that's pretty low-hanging fruit. That's one reason why Jesus reinterpreted everything in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, look, you all think that you're doing good because you haven't murdered anybody. Let me tell you this. If you harbor hatred and, and unforgiveness in your heart, you've committed murder, so go ahead and redefine it now. How you doing? But, but I'm not talking about that low-hanging, that's like passive obedience. What I'm really talking about, not me, it doesn't matter what I'm talking about, what Jesus is talking about is obedience in the difficult things. It's when our life is obedient, when it's hard, when we're obedient, when we don't want to, get this, it's when I submit my own will unwillingly. You ever been there? And when I'm unwilling to submit my will and I do it anyway, even unwillingly, that is obedience. And, and it's so important for us. To, I mean, understand, in Hebrews 5.8, the Bible says that Jesus himself learned obedience through difficulty. In his flesh, in his, in his human nature, He learned obedience through difficulty. Love and obedience always go together, biblically. We we like what I call sloppy agape, where it's just like, oh, I have good feelings. It's all good. And God says, it's it's not all good. Yes, I always love you. And I want you to love me. But your love for me is proved in your difficult obedience. Because sometimes it might be difficult for you to unwillingly lay down your will. You know the first time that love is mentioned in Scripture? is pretty important. The first time love is mentioned in Scripture is way back in the Old Testament. In Genesis 22. The Hebrew word for love is first mentioned in Genesis 22. Here's why that's important. The context of Genesis 22. God tells Abram, who has one son, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me on the mountain I will show you. The reason it's important for us to understand where love is first mentioned, because it's mentioned in the context of difficult obedience. Where Abraham has to show his faith and his trust and his love for for God the Father in the sacrificing of the son he loves. Love always encompasses obedience. And if Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, and if the first mention of love in Scripture is all about difficult obedience, why would it be any different for you and I? Do you understand? And so Jesus says, for those who love me, who obey me, I will ask the Father to send another advocate for you. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the whole, Holy Spirit is and what He does, but I, I just feel the need to take some time slowly and set this up. It's so interesting to me that Abraham could not have claimed love for God the Father had he not obeyed in difficulty. And even though he was unwilling to, seemingly as a father, he was willing to as a a follower. And the Bible says in Romans thirteen fourteen, make no provision for the flesh. Like like take that flesh, take that self desire, take that take the, your own will, and just make no provision for the for, like sacrifice all of that. Because you say you love me, sacrifice that and obey me. And to those who do, I will ask the Father to give you another advocate. See the proof that we know Jesus. And love Jesus, is that we're obedient to Him. We're not obedient so that He will love us, but because we love Him, we'll be obedient. So that means that even when I sin, because I will, I'm going to be quick to repent. I mean, Jesus, look at look at what He says. If you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. This all you know, all this is all in one chapter, in chapter fourteen. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who what? Who loves me? Anyone who loves me will what? Obey. Do you see how this all works together? Look at what he says in the opposite. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so he says the same thing in reverse. He's driving home the point to his disciples. I'm getting ready to leave, and I want to send you this advocate, this, ca- this other in my place It will be with you always. I can only be with you at one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit, who I want to give, that the Spirit of God I want to impart to you, I want to, but but listen, your love has got to show up in obedience. Because if it doesn't, it's going to ruin this intimacy that we're trying to create with you. First John 5:3. In fact, this is love for God. To what? To keep his commands. And then look what he says. And his commands are not burdensome. This is amazing to me. We're studying through this with my Bible study group on Wednesday night. It says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And by the way, John says, of Jesus, his commands are not a burden. We have to get away from this general thinking that it's so hard to follow God. It's so hard to obey His commands because the Bible says that it's not. They're not a burden. Most of us approach the commands of God as a burden. It's hard for me to follow. It's hard for me to obey. It's hard. For me. The Bible says it's not. So one of us is wrong. Just because it's a burden for you to follow God's commands does not mean God's commands are a burden. Did you catch that? One of us is wrong. Me or God. Right? You or God. I I suggest you put your money on God. You you know, you know, you know why? You know why the commands of God are not a burden? They're not a burden when I realize they're for my good and for my protection. When I realize they're for my good and for my protection, they're not a burden. Now, the commands of God were a burden for Eve in the garden because she started thinking the commands of God were for her ill, like he's holding out on her. So they were a burden for her. But when I realize they're for my good and for my protection, they're not a burden. Psalm 119, 2. Blessed are they, happy are they who keep the statutes and seek him, who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. That word statute, happy are those who, who keep his statutes, that means who keep his limits and his boundaries, his commands. And when his commands aren't clear, it's the limits and boundaries that he's put in place around life. Happy are those who keep those. They're for my benefit, they're for my protection. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It means it revives the soul. It gives wisdom to know what's best. Happy are these commands of God. They're not a burden. They're for my protection and for my blessing and for my good. You know, you know, what? You, you know when God's commands are not a burden? It, it's when I've given a new heart that wants to obey. It's when obedience is a joy and not a burden. Like these commands are... And, and this was the prayer of the psalmist. Look what he said in Psalm 119, 36. Turn my heart towards your statutes, towards your limits, towards your boundaries. Turn my heart to them. And when my why? Because I know that when my heart starts to turned to them, it's not a burden anymore. The re, here's the thing. The reason I'm convinced why so many like people in church feel like the commands of God and the obedience of God is such a burden is because they haven't had their heart turned towards them. And so if it feels to you as if the commands of God are difficult, my encouragement to you is do exactly what the psalmist did, is to pray the prayer, Father, turn my heart towards your commands. Turn my heart towards your limitations. Turn my heart towards your boundaries. Because I know they're for my good and for my protection. Do you understand? The commands of God are not a burden. You know what is a burden? Religion's a burden. The commands of Christ are not. And when I realize that that it's the religious rules that are burdened, not the commands of Christ, then I start, here's the transition that starts happening in my my mind. Here's the transition. I start thinking when it gets real burdensome and laborious to obey the commands of God, I've sacrificed my religion with the Father for uh, my relationship with the Father for religious behavior. Jesus will say himself in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not burdensome. And so that's why I think Jesus draws our attention back to, if you love me, you'll obey me. Because it's not a burden. It's a joy. But he comes so that the world may learn. The Holy Spirit comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. And look at what he says. And because I love the Father... And do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus is the model of love and obedience. Does that make sense? To the people who love and obey Christ, I will ask the Father for another advocate for you, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. To walk you into this intimate relationship with the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the goal of the Christian life. This intimate relationship through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This intimate relationship with the Father and the Son. And so, here's what the Holy Spirit does. For those of you who love and obey, this is what the Holy, this is this is what Jesus was asking for us. The role of the Holy Spirit to those who love and obey is to be their counselor or their advocate. Now, when we talk about a counselor or an advocate, because this is the Holy Spirit's role, what we're talking about is one who comes along the side of another to argue their case as a legal counsel before a judge. That's what we're talking about. And so it's also used of Jesus himself as our advocate in 1 John chapter 2 verse 21. And 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 the role of the Holy Spirit, part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to plead our case before God the Father, cuz God the Father has that responsibility of of uh, to to judge unrighteousness, uh to 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 punish sin. Like he's got that responsibility. And so for those of us who love who love and obey Christ, we have this advocate who stands at our side as our legal counsel to argue our case before the judge. Because the reality of what's happening right now, and we know this according to Revelation 12, 10, is that the adversary, the devil, stands before the judge, God the Father, accusing God's children day and night of all of our crap, all of our sin. He accuses us day and night. And we can't stand before God the Father in and of ourselves and offer our own defense because we'll fall flat. And so we need an advocate to, to argue our defense before God the Father And what we have is God the Spirit and God the Son to advocate for us. And the thing I love about that is in the human realm, if we have a legal defense attorney, what the legal defense attorney does for us is argue our case is try to prove how stupid we are. We just didn't know what we were doing or try to prove that that it wasn't as bad as what everybody says it was to try to make excuses for us to maybe get a reduced sentence. And what I love about the advocate of God the Spirit is that he stands for God the judge and he makes no excuses for us. And he says, yep, they are exactly as guilty as they appear to be. And his defense is the blood of God, the son. And God, the spirit says, God, the father, I am your child's defense attorney. And the only thing I have to say is the blood of God, the son. Case closed. Let's not talk about it anymore. You know what kind of liberation there is in that? And that's available for all those who love Christ and obey Him. This is the advocate we get. I don't have to make an excuse before God. I don't have to act like I'm better than what I am. I can be fully filthy me and have the advocate argue my defense before God the Father and be completely exonerated and declared not guilty, just as if I'd never sinned. So because The goal of the Christ followers is this intimate relationship with God, with God, the Father, God, the Son, through the God, through the God, the Spirit. In love and obedience, Jesus asks that we get this advocate on our behalf. Not only to argue our defense, but here's his role. This is what he does. I want you to understand this. The Holy Spirit now, in a Christ follower's life, who loves and obeys the commands of God, this Holy Spirit now becomes your comforter. The, this word advocate is so profound, it's hard to pick one, one explanation. To tell. And so these different translations kind of flesh out what it is to be this, the Holy Spirit to be our advocate. And one of the things it says is this Holy Spirit now becomes your comforter. The King James Version says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. For those of us who love and obey Christ, and the commands of God. Not perfection, but sin, repentance. We get the comfort. The Holy Spirit has our comfort. It, it saddens me um, how disquieted God's people have been the last few years. Because what it tells me is that God's people have not learned to live in intimacy with God the Father and God the Son through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because if we had, there would be comfort. Do you understand? This is the role of the Holy Spirit for those in an intimate relationship with this incredible, unknowable, yet personal God. To be your comforter and to be your counselor. Same verse, different, fleshing out of what this means. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. It amazes me how many people who claim the name of Christ still look for outside counsel in people, in things, in posts. In It amazes me how many people who claim the name of Christ seem to be floundering around life as those without counsel. And it's concerning for me because Jesus said, I will send him to you. Avail yourself to him in this intimate relationship that you gain through love and the proof of your love of obedience. The role of the Holy Spirit, comforter, counselor, guide. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth again. It's, it's, it's concerning to, to me, on, especially the younger generation, how lost. Many of them seem to be so lost. They're not even certain of their own identity and gender. And being led by an older generations that are equally as lost. As if without a guide in this world. And God says, if you love me, you will obey me. And when that's in place, I will ask that the father send you this advocate who will be your comforter and your counselor and your guide never to be lost. He will be your helper. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father said in my name. For every issue of help we need, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Why is it we get so worked up and out of control and disquieted when there's a need in our life, when the Bible says the Spirit is the helper? And I'll give him to you when you love and obey me. You understand what I'm saying? He's our teacher. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything I've said. It's this Holy Spirit within us that if we if we tune our ears to hear his whisper, starts to speak to us about the truth of who God is and remind us of what he said. That's why it's so important to be him. How can He remind us of something we haven't put in yet? So when that's in place, the Holy Spirit will teach you the truth of all things. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes, He's our intercessor, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It's this Holy Spirit, when you're at those moments of, of like, God, what? That intercedes for us before God the Father and says, let me put into words what their heart feels that they can express. Guys, what more intimate role can there be than one who is our comforter and our counselor and our guide and our helper and our teacher and our intercessor before the Father. All this is meant to draw us into this ongoing intimate relationship with this incredible triune God, God the Father, God the Son, through the presence of God the Spirit. And the question I have to ask is, if this is all what is available to me, how do I get the Spirit in me? I mean, that's the question. How do I get the Spirit to dwell in me? Well, it's pretty simple. How do you do it? You love Jesus and obey his commands. See, the motivation for this is loving Jesus because he first loved us and gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's the motivation. The result is it fleshes itself out in obedience. And so my encouragement to you today is choose to love Jesus, not in sentiment, but in obedience. And choose to renew your love for him, not in sentiment, but in obedience. Where when it becomes clear, there's sin, repent. And do it different. Choose today to obey. Confess your sin, repent, and go the opposite direction. And the Holy Spirit is promised to you. My encouragement for you today is to receive the Holy Spirit. And it's not some spooky, weird, freaky... You don't have to... you know, repent, shave your head, and eat locusts or speak in weird words or jump. It's not about that at all. There's nothing spooky or freaky about it. But you know what it is. It's it's the presence of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the greatest manifestation of the Spirit of God. Called the fruit of the Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit enters life and becomes your comforter and counselor and guide and helper and teacher and intercessor in this intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Son through the Spirit, you start to exhibit and live with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. And what a beautiful relationship that is. Yeah? I want you to pray with me. Let me just pray over us and then I'm going to give you a chance to pray. Father, I thank you that you promised not to leave us alone and that you promised us the presence of your spirit when we turn in love and obedience toward your son. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict me of my sin, of my pride, of my arrogance, of my apathy, my complacency. And in conviction, Father, I choose to repent. And in repentance, I ask for all that your grace has to give me. And Father, I pray that over our church. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict me Those of our church of their sin, of their arrogance, of their pride, of their ignorance, of their complacency, of how common a life that they're living that ought not be a common life at all. And Holy Spirit, as you convict me, as you convict our church, we repent. And we commit to go a different way. Friends, here's your turn. Jesus has said, I will ask the Father to send the Spirit, those who love me and obey me, repent of their sin. And I'd encourage you in the quietness of this moment, as you sit, stand, kneel before God the Father, Say, Holy Spirit, convict me of my sin. Convict me of my arrogance to think I have nothing to repent of. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of my apathy. Forgive me of my my complacency. Forgive me. I have put so many things ahead of your kingdom. Forgive me of the grudges I keep in my heart. Forgive me of all those things that I've asked forgiveness for a thousand times over. I repent. And then say, Father, in repentance, give me all your grace will allow. Give me all your grace will allow. I receive it all. And then say this, Holy Spirit, be my comfort. Be my counsel. Be my guide. Be my helper. Intercede for me. Teach me. Father, I thank you. Your love for us is profound. Your mercy is great. It's amazing. And we want all of it. So God, we stand before you repentant. And in repentant, we stand before you as obedient. Give us your Holy Spirit. And we will praise your name. We rejoice in you, Father, and in the presence of your Spirit in us. In your name I pray Amen. I love you. This Bible is a good thing to go through, but I'm telling you, it cuts sometimes. And it's such a pleasurable pain because it sets us right with God. That's worth rejoicing over. Let's sing.